Record. Holiness. Amen. You know, we have a dictionary for a reason. We have dictionaries. I think most every language likely has one. So that at least to some degree there's some consistency in what words mean. Otherwise, they just mean whatever each and every one of us decide that we mean. We all know what that would mean, too. The Bible tells us that the Lord himself spoke and said that he is holy. There is no other definition. It's, it's not up to man. It's not up to us to right now decide this is holy and that is unholy. God said, I am holy. And that we ought to be holy because he is holy. Which means that if that's what I want in life, if that's what I want in eternity, I've got to see to be more
uncharacteristically, God really hasn't given you the direction yet uh, for what's going to happen after today. So all I know about is today, but, but I believe this is the direction that the Lord is leading me in because it, we want to believe the truth. I mean, I, we live in a struggle each and every day of our life for the truth. That, that, isn't that really what God is in our life? He, the, the song and the scripture that came, I mean, the scripture and the song that came from the scripture both say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, if God defines himself as holiness, he's also defined himself as the truth. The Bible says, let, every, let, every, let God be true and let every man be a liar. If, 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 any, if there's anything that's going to be truthful, it's got to stand the test of whether it lines up with God or not. I mean, God is the truth in our life, and, and, and we want our eyes open to what the truth is. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, and, and if you've read that chapter many times, you know it's it's kind of given a, a, a record, not a recommendation, but really a command to Timothy. And, and it says in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Lies. Lies. It is lies that the devil uses to destroy us. He doesn't come after us with brute force. He doesn't come after us with all of his physical strength, although he, he certainly hasn't. He was an angel in the heavens, and the Bible teaches us that us men and women were made a little bit lower than the angels. When it, when it comes down to the strength of our back and our shoulders, he's got one up on us, you know, except for the fact that a host of angels can come to our rescue. But that's not how he comes after you. It's not really ever how he's come after mankind. He is always seemingly come in the power of the tongue. He has come in the power of deception. That if we will just abandon the truth, everything else will take care of itself. He doesn't need to overpower you. He just needs to get you to believe a lie. Because if you will believe a lie, if you will stop believing the truth, he doesn't have to fight the rest of the battle. He can move on to the next victim. Because abandoning the truth is all we have to do to find ourselves lost. Return. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is a place that is the writing about the very last day, something that that is often preached about now, but 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of, working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. So in the last day, when, when we're all up in heaven and the rest of the world is going to be brought under the, the iron fist of the Antichrist, how is it going to happen? It's going to happen by lies. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
Why are people going to be lost during the tribulation? Why are people going to face God's judgment and wrath someday? Because they chose not to love the truth. They heard it and they knew it, but they chose not to love it that they might be saved. And for this cause, verse 11, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's what's going to cause people to be lost. It's not just because they slipped up and made a mistake. It's not just because they misinterpreted a verse here or there. I understand we run into those difficulties and we've got to have somebody to lead us out of them. But the thing that's going to turn you towards God and keep drawing you towards God is a love for the truth. And if you have a love for the truth, God's going to show you truth. God's going to reveal truth to you. And He's going to give you what you need to be saved. But if you don't love it, if you don't want it, if you hear it and reject it, the day will come when you'll believe anything the devil says to you. And the world will be lost by lies. Perhaps more than ever before, at least in our nation, Truth has never been under assault, or at least so it seems, to the degree that it is today. The Bible says that God made them male and female, and yet man has decided there's more than that. The Bible teaches that God took a man and a woman and joined them together in marriage, and yet man has decided that it can all be done a different way. God created man and put him to work. Yet many men believe that they don't really have to do that. Yeah, we could go on all day long, but that's I didn't really come to preach about all those things today. But there is perhaps one lie that started it all. There's a lie that was that was voiced into the ears of humanity that has caused us to be forever impacted by its sinfulness. One deception that opened the door to all the rest. And I would submit to you that this lie will cost you your soul. The lie that tomorrow belongs to us. Now let me explain. Book of Genesis chapter 3. You go all the way to the almost the very beginning of Scripture and you find that first sin. You find that, that first failure that, that come upon mankind. Chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. What did God say? God spoke to them and said, In the day that ye eat thereof, you're going to die. In the day that you eat thereof, you're going to die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely.
to eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now I would imagine that, that before all this happened, you know, before, before the fall of mankind, I don't really think that Adam and Eve had quite the same understanding of time that you and I have today. They weren't foolish, they weren't ignorant, they understood that the sun came up every morning and it set in the evening, and the moon and the stars were visible all night, and the whole process started over again the next day. They were created wise, they were given understanding as a grown man and as a grown woman, but time was different for them because they were eternal. Within them was an eternal soul, and even though their flesh came from the dust of this earth, the Bible teaches us that they were able to eat of the tree of life, and they would never die. That was the reason they were cast out. The Lord said, we leave them in that garden. If I don't get them out, they're going to take the tree of life, and they're going to be in their sinful state for the rest of eternity. They were not going to die before sin came into the picture. The tree of life would take care of that. As long as they kept eating from the tree of life, they'd keep living. And tomorrow would always come for them. Here's the interesting thing about this message, or at least so the preacher thinks. Tomorrow is going to come. Tomorrow is going to come. In just a few chapters, Genesis 8 and 22 says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now, I read that scripture to you. It comes right after God's destroyed the earth by water. He's, he's destroyed the earth by a flood, and now he's making sure that no one understands that life is going to return to some sense of normalcy. Life is going to go back in, in, in some ways to the way that it was before. And he said, from here on out, as long as this earth remains, everything is going to continue progressing. There's going to be seasons that come and seasons that go. The sun's going to go down and the sun's going to rise up. There's a promise that tomorrow's coming. Even throughout Scripture, there's all kinds of prophecy that still has not been fulfilled. And so since it has not been fulfilled and God cannot lie, then tomorrow is going to have to come. Because there's things that God has ordained to be that have not yet to come to pass. There's going to be a tomorrow. After all, God is eternal and cannot die. The hosts of heaven are eternal and cannot die. All of the fallen angels that, that follow Lucifer out of heaven are eternal and cannot die. And all of you and I have the very breath of God living inside of us. And someday, even when this life is over, our souls are going to continue on somewhere. So there's going to be a tomorrow. That's not the issue. The issue is this. It don't belong to us. It's not in our power. It's not in our control. It's not been given to us. It's not been promised to us in this life that you and I are living in right now. First Peter 1 24 says, For all flesh is as grass. Your 
is as grass and is all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The issue today is not the question as to whether or not tomorrow is going to come because God settled that question a long time ago. There are still tomorrows that are going to come. There's an eternity of tomorrows that are still going to come. But here is the problem. Even though God may own tomorrow, even though the angels may have a job to do tomorrow, and even though your eternal soul may exist somewhere tomorrow, your flesh is another story. You're not promised one more breath in this world. You're not promised one more heartbeat. You're not promised one more day, one more hour, one more minute in your natural life. The only thing you've got claim to this morning is right here and right now. You don't know what a day may bring. And your head may never see your pillow again. You're not promised. Second Corinthians chapter 6, New Testament theology. Apostle Paul says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain, the unmerited favor, the patience we don't deserve, the forgiveness we can never earn. He said, Don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I suffered thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We've got to stop living in the belief of the lie that the devil sold to Adam and Eve a long time ago. God said, if you take of that fruit, you're not promised one more day. You're not promised anything else beyond the moment that you fail and sin before God. And the devil looked at her and said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about dying today. Don't worry about what's going to happen to you because God knows you're going to get this. God knows you're going to get that. He lied to her and ever since men and women have been willing to trade today for tomorrow when you don't have tomorrow. I said, don't. Don't make the preaching of the grace of God a waste of time for you. By deciding that I can answer it another day. That I can go to the altar another day. That I can get myself right with God another day. You don't have another day. The only thing you've got is now. You've got to stop believing that anything Anything that should be done today can be done tomorrow because no one has promised our lives tomorrow. And you see, some things don't matter that much. Some things don't have eternal value. I want my grass to be cut, but if it don't get cut today, it'll just be a little bit longer tomorrow and the world's not going to come to an end. I want the car to be clean. But if I don't get the car washed today, it'll just be a little bit 
dirtier tomorrow, but the world's still going to keep on turning. But if you're not ready to meet God, if all is not well with your soul this morning, don't deposit your hopes into a bank account that you don't have. Don't invest in a stock that could fail before the day runs out. I've come to tell you, I've come to tell everybody today, God has not promised your flesh and your blood one more day on planet Earth. Today is the day to be ready. Today is the day to be saved. Today is the day to do something for God because tomorrow may never come for us. Well, I know there are those that just don't love the truth. I, I get that. There's, there's always been those, and there always will be. There will always be people that hear the truth and just decide I don't want any part of it and keep on living their life the same way. But I wonder about the untold millions that have left this life unprepared for eternity. I wonder how many of them did actually have intentions of getting right with God. I mean, let's face it, if you don't at least have intentions of being right with God, I'm not sure why you came this morning. Because that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do, to praise God and to get things right with our soul. We're not here just to, just to have a party. We're not here just to have some food. We're not here just to socialize. How many people have sat on pews that convicted of the error of their ways but walked out the door simply believing the lie? I'll go to the altar tonight. I'll go to the altar on Wednesday. I'll get it all fixed when, when this has changed in my life and that's changed in my life. I'll just do it all tomorrow. You and I don't have tomorrow. Before, before all the saved folk just, just write this message off as something that really doesn't matter a whole lot to them because they're ready to meet God. It's not just about repenting of your sins. It's not just about being baptized in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost, although if you've not done those things in your life, there's nothing else that does matter but that. The book of Luke, chapter 12, the Lord himself tells the story. It's interesting the way we normally look at this man, and, and I would say that, that that assumption is probably accurate, but at the same time, it could teach those that probably don't think they fit into this story either. Luke, chapter 12, verse 16, And Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth... <coughs> He thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat and drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? That's 
easy to, to, to write this story off once you're saved. You know, it, it's easy to look at this and say, undoubtedly the Lord would because he told the story of a rich man. Let's face it, how many Pentecostals were rich? You know, it's easy to write this off and say, well, that's what he was talking about. You just got to get right with God today. But, but Jesus didn't finish the story there. He said, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. Now, you don't get rich in a day. Well, I know folks hit the lottery, but, but all you got to do is just Google the, the end of most of those folks, and the riches don't last very long. Book of Proverbs even teaches us that, that, that the riches that are, that are gained in haste quickly fly away. That's not really how God works. You, you, you build up treasure, you accumulate things by working hard and by being wise and doing the right things as the Word of God teaches us to. And so the Lord here kind of makes a connection to this whole idea of being rich toward God. You can't get rich in a night, but how are you rich toward God? It's because it's a lifetime day in and day out of laying up treasures in the right place. And he said to his disciples, therefore I say unto you, the disciples, the ones that were already following him, the ones that already loved the truth, the ones that already wanted to be saved, he said, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you would take thought could add to his stature one cubit? If you then not be able to do that thing which is least, why take thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? It's not just about being saved once. And seek not what you shall eat, what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But matters seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. I'm an apostolic preacher. I don't, I don't have, to, I have to think a whole lot to, about coming up with a way to preach that you need to repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. It's black and white. It's message number one. It's priority number one if you're not ready to meet God. But I've also come to preach to some saints that from time to time we can sit back and put off doing something for the kingdom of God because tomorrow is always going to be there. I'll give this to my friend next week. I'll have that Bible study next month. I'll start that ministry next year. I'll wait till this happens. I'll wait till that falls into the, into place that I've come to tell somebody today, you and I are promised tomorrow in this world if you're never going to do anything for God, you've got to do it now. 
How much of our mental capacity, how much of our tolerable stress levels, how much of our thought life is poured into the job, the house, the garden, the achievements and the accomplishments of this world? This preacher didn't come to preach that you don't work. I already preached the opposite of that one started. His preachers will come to tell you not to plan, not to, to be wise about the things that you're going to do. Even the Lord says, doesn't a man count the cost before he goes off and builds a house? But that same God said, you need to remember something. That there are only a very small number of things that you need in this life. And your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need. And if you'll clothe the grass, if you'll clothe the hill, if you'll clothe the lilies of the field, He knows what you need. He said, don't be consumed and don't be concerned about those things. God will take care of you. He said, what I want you to be consumed about is that souls are lost. There are souls that are dying and all their way to hell. And if you don't tell us to that, they may never hear it. You might have 10,000 tomorrow, but they might not have one. How many people in our lives are we acquainted with? We don't share the gospel with them. I'm old enough to have personal experiences of those that I just assumed they'd always be there. And then a day came and their life was over. They went out to eternity lost. And I began to ask myself the question, did I do as much as I could to witness to them? Did I do as much as I should have to be a witness to them? Because my tomorrow came, theirs never did. Because none of us have the promise of tomorrow in this life. There's more to living for God than just being saved one time. God has a work for you to do. God has a work for me to do. God has called all of us to be witnesses for Him. There are talents and there are abilities in your life that He has put into you. There's things inside of you that the church needs you to put into the church. There are classes that only you can teach. There are Bible studies that only you can give. There are people that only you can say. So what are you waiting for? What am I waiting for? Is it a raise? Is it a relationship? Is it for some circumstance to change? Is it for something else that only exists in tomorrow? Or are we going to do work for God today? Are we going to do something for God today? Are we going to get everything well in our soul today? First Corinthians chapter 15. Perhaps, at least among those that are recorded in Scripture, perhaps there's no man that's seen 
understand this more clearly than the Apostle Paul. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31. Paul writes and says, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. So we like to use this scripture to remind ourselves that we need to repent and die out before God every day. But what did Paul also realize? I'll never promise tomorrow. And so when I come to the end of my day, I'm going to have done all that was within my power for the kingdom of God. Because he says in the next verse, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage did it be if the dead rise not? Let us eat Drink, but tomorrow we die. How you look at tomorrow will drive every aspect of how you treat today. All of us have loved ones that have gone on to their reward. Somewhere in our life we have thought, I wish I told them one more time. I wish I'd said I love you one more time. I wish I, I wish I had said I would do that thing they asked me to do. I wish I went and spent that time with them they asked me to spend. We've all dealt with those thoughts and feelings. So if we know that, does that change the next time? Does that change the next time that we're in the room with those that we love? Do we look at them and say, I love you? Do we look at our brother and encourage him? Do we look at our sister and encourage our sister? Because tomorrow may not come for me. And I may never have another opportunity to speak the words. Do we ever not, not give to those in need? Some, somehow go help somebody tomorrow instead of realizing they're starving today and we're well fed. I can go on all day, but you understand. You understand the principle. But we began to realize that we never have tomorrow. It ought to change everything about today. If you do, you never have one more opportunity to pray. Would you come to the altar this morning? If you knew that the Lord was going to come this afternoon and you know in your heart you're eternally lost, would you not come to the altar and get right with God? When you've grown cold and you can't remember the last time you felt the Spirit of God, if you really believed that you never stepped foot in His house again, you come to the altar this morning and pray until you pray through 
God's not giving you tomorrow yet. But he's giving you right here, and he's giving you right now. These altars are open. They already are. If you're not right with God, don't make them tomorrow. Come and get right today. If you're called in the Lord, don't make them Sunday night service. Get things right with God right here and right now. There's something that needs to be said. Some offense that needs to be done right. Some sin that needs to be broken up. Don't make up on having another opportunity to pray. It's all right. Come to the altar. 